You are listening to Sing Amen, ministering through music. I am Jennifer Kerr-Budziak, and welcome to our podcast. And we're back. Sing Amen took a little bit of a hiatus after Christmas, but here at last is our first podcast of the new year. As most people know by now, World Library Publications has officially joined GIA as a new division of the company. And so the past couple of months have been full of transitions and moves and new and old friends coming together to work and create. Uh, It's been a really exciting time, and we're all eager to see what the future brings. Today's podcast is an interview with Los Angeles composer Carol Browning, who was kind enough to sit down for about half an hour or so with me when she was in Chicago to record her new collection, Unknown Blessings, which is newly released and will be featured at next week's Los Angeles Religious Education Congress. It was a delightful conversation about her background, her process as a composer, uh, about her new collection. We'll hear some selections from the collection as well. So here's Carol Browning. Carol, thank you so, so much for sitting down with me and talking about this. I've been an admirer of your work for years. Thank you. Thank you very and, much. Um, I think since I discovered, I think your Ubi Caritas was oh, one of yes, the first. Oh, yes. That was my first published piece, it actually. It was. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 20 yeah. years ago. Wow. <laughs> 21. Yeah. 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 So, so I was hoping we could just kind of sit down and talk about, you know, talk about you, but also, you know, your composing and okay. why and how you came to it and just kind of get a sense of who you are as a musician and a, okay. and an artist. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I think of myself as a folk singer. Um, I used to play in coffee houses when I was a teenager um, doing, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary and Judy oh. Collins. I'm that old, you know. <laughs> that was, I, I grew up with that music. I love that yeah, music. Yeah, used to do a lot of that. And uh, um, so I come from a folk-based background, basically. Um, I studied some music in college, but um, I don't have as much formal training as a lot of the other composers. But I've worked for the last, gosh, almost 20 years or maybe more with um, Chris Walker has a liturgical composers forum that meets in Los Angeles area. Um, Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. I knew about the one that meets in In St. Louis. Louis, Yeah. I'm part of the steering committee for that. But um, we have uh, a group that we meet quarterly and Chris gives us assignments. Ah. Um, And everybody it's anywhere from six to 10 12 people, um, we all bring in the assignment and share them and then also share any other pieces that we're working on. And so for me, I've learned so much from Chris, um, all, all kinds of things about writing. Um, so he's been a real mentor for me in terms of developing, uh, the folk singer (laughs) into something more into the, yeah. Yeah. I, as I look at your choral writing, and you, your choral writing, it's so vocal and it's so Thank singable. You. Well, I think that comes from being a singer and having been in choirs and, and also Chris's work, you yeah. know. I, I, I try to make good voice leading for each line and, you know, have them work together. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. No, I seriously, that's, that. that's one of the things that I have always, you know, I know when I see a Carol Browning piece that... You know, my altos and my tenors and my basses are going to be happy. Oh, I mean, thank you. A nice melody, but I'm, I'm an alto. Oh, and yeah. So sometimes you get either really boring alto so, parts. Right. That sit on an e. Are you an alto? I'm a, I'm actually a soprano, but okay. I I have a wide range, so I end up singing, and especially as I age, 
you know, I end up singing alto more often. And with my choir, my little choir at the Lutheran Church, I end up singing tenor or bass. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. So, yeah, you do what's needed. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, so many alto parts just have an E forever. Right, exactly, or, which is boring. Or weird leaps and jumps. Right. And, but, I, yeah. But yeah. The, I try to have is. a line so yeah. that it's more interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So you said Ubi Caritas was your first published piece. Had mm-hmm. you been writing church music prior to that? Uh, not liturgical music. Mm-hmm. I'd written some um, like contemporary Christian songs. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was working with, as I was mentioning to you earlier, Laura Woodworth Gibson. She and I worked actually at an insurance agency. I was like secretary there. And um, uh, she had me come in. I had never been in a Catholic church and she was part of, of Tom Franzek's quartet and asked me to come and sing, fill in for a couple services. And I loved the music. It was my first introduction to people like uh, Marty Haugen and David Haas mm-hmm. and all of that wonderful music. And um, so their alto ended up moving away. And so she said, would you come and sing with us? Oh. And so I ended up doing that. And um, there was one um, particular Sunday where the readings were about the, the you know, and entertaining angels unaware. Yeah. Um, and hospitality. And uh, I had written a Dona Nobis Pachem, uh, like a five-part acapella thing, and I had told her about that. And she, so she said, do, do you have an Ubi Caritas? And I said, no, and hung up the phone. <laughs> and then I called her back about a half hour later. I said, I think I have something. <laughs> I think I might have an Ubi Caritas. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah nice. It's, cool. And we did it at St. Monica's, and she encouraged me to uh, submit it to GIA. She had some connections with them through the Religious Ed Congress. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, she encouraged me to, and Bob Adestini was here at that time, and um, so they took that and another piece um, as well. So I was thrilled about that, and still here. (laughs) So did you keep writing for that group? And is that kind of where your Uh stuff gets sort of beta tested or? or Yeah. Um, There and now I've been working for the Lutheran church for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I will do things with my little choir there. Um, And a lot of actually, God bless Chris Walker. A lot of my pieces that have been published were assignments from Chris, where he either gives us a text or uh, an occasion, you know, like for the Easter vigil or mm-hmm. for something for Advent or for a funeral or whatever. And um, the assignments have been successful. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that that's that's kind of wonderful because I I, I was I looked through you know your my catalog, catalog of pieces yeah. and what you you know what you've had and I was struck by how just beautifully focused, you know, so many of your pieces, I can open it and within two bars, even if I haven't, oh, this is for a funeral. Oh, this is for, this is for for an occasion. The lighting of the candles at the Mass of Remembrance on All Souls Day. Right. We speak your name. We remember. We light our
that one came out of the, we remember that came out of, I was playing a funeral at a church where they had a tradition mm -hmm. of having someone come up and light, a, a family member come up and light a candle and write the person's, the deceased person's name in the book of remembrance. Mm -hmm. And that refrain came to me while I was, you know, in the midst of, of the funeral mass. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in that one, I was kicking myself today that I had never, I had not heard that song before. Oh. And I literally, I found it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. And I immediately texted it to uh, my friend and colleague who is the music director of the parish I used to be at oh, that has that oh, exact oh, thank you. tradition. Oh. And so I was like, I don't know if you found this, this piece. Was... <laughs> you probably found this piece because it's a great piece. But oh, thank you. if you don't know about it. So thank it's, you. But, and so that was, again, something that also struck me. Um, you have a lot of different styles in your writing. Uh, which I think sometimes works against me because you can't just say, oh, she does this, you know. Because um, I, I write a Bob Moore likes to call me the ostinato queen because I have <laughs> several ostinatos and I do Tese prayer. And Can I ask, have you, when you've been in Chicago, have you ever gotten to go to the Tese prayer services that David the Anderson David, I have not. I have yeah. not. Yeah. I would love to. I, I know. I've, I've participated when he's done them at Congress. The parish where know, he like does them. 900 people come. Which month. is amazing. It fills the church. And so you just, yeah. you know, and you to, get four part cannons to be take part off, of that. Yeah. And it's all around the room. And Yeah. One of the services I do at the, at the Episcopal Church is we do Eucharist in the style of Tuesday. Oh. So the first part is Tuesday pretty much, and then add on Eucharist to it that contemplative style appeals to me, but then I have other more upbeat things. So yeah. if it's for worship, I come at it from a liturgical perspective. I, I like to say I'm a walking oxymoron because I'm a Quaker liturgist. <laughs> I was, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that too, because it's, you know, that, that you are, and you're a Quaker. Have you been a Quaker all your life? Since you I were... was 17. 17, okay. Yeah, yeah. My folks were both Methodist ministers, uh, so I'm twice a preacher's kid. Um, but my mom got fed up with the sexism at the in the Methodist church at that time, um, and she ended up looking for something more egalitarian, and um, so we became Quakers. But working with Laura in the Catholic church, she would explain to me the ritual, you know. She would say, sit down here, stand up, this is what's going on here, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it taught me. I think God has a sense of humor because I seemed to have a gift for liturgy. I understand it and know that the music has to serve the liturgy, has to serve the action. Well, even being a part of the Quaker tradition where silence is right. so much a part. And, but uh, in but, a way, it might seem like an oxymoron. But on the other hand, in Quaker worship, if there is speech or song or sound or utterance of any kind, it tends to be very purposeful and very thoughtful. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't talk just to talk. If right. there is something to be said, it is said thoughtfully it, spirit and well. spirit-led. And yes. led by the spirit. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so much of your music, you have a few sort of more choral mm -hmm. kinds of things or uh -huh. pieces with assembly refrains and choral verses. Right. But you also, uh, we have a number of your pieces that are, seem to be focused on the, you know, Ritual music, but RCIA specifically. It, it, yes, did yes. that grow out of your work at St. Monica's or um, through you know working with some of Chris that was Walker with or, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Um, the come and receive um, that title was he asked us to write something for the rite of acceptance, so that's where that came from. And uh, um, there's another piece that is going to be in the new collection, Indwelling Christ, 
where he asked us to write something for the vigil that could be used in Lent and Easter, you know. you gotten the chance to use these within at previous catholic parishes catholic definitely parishes. you have you have, I have been, yeah yeah so, and okay. and some of the um non-ritual 
things I've done at the Lutheran Church I met. I love that. You grew up Methodist. You are a Quaker. <laughs> you compose for Catholic worship, and you're a minister in the in the Lutheran right now. Church. And I also do a couple of contemplative um, prayer services at an Episcopal church. So yeah, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm and very ecumenism here. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I, Cause I think so many, and God speaks to us all in different ways and mm-hmm. you know, we all have something to offer and as we should search for commonalities and, and yeah. ways that we can connect rather than divide. I also had noticed that you, you know, many, many composers who right now, um, draw their texts from you know some of the hymn writers oh, working sure. now. You write a lot of your own texts. Some, some, yeah. I I try to do both. I I don't feel I'm as strong a text writer. Uh, I try to. I think I've gotten better at it, um, and I I do work at it. But um, a lot of the ones I've written myself come inspired by scripture and trying to pretty good inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, you know, interpret from that. You said that a lot of your work comes from these assignments and mm-hmm. from your composer's group. How often do you have just sort of decide to write something? Is that part of your experience where just a piece will bubble up and you'll write it? Or are you usually writing for something to a purpose? Or um, you Oftentimes, for me, uh, different people write, you know, sometimes people write melodies and then they'll find a text that fits or they come up with a text and then for me they usually come together and it's usually inspired by scripture or inspired by something I've read um, one of my earlier pieces um, with grateful hearts was came out of a sermon that Lloyd Torgerson preached at St. Monica's um, uh, it was on the 10 lepers um, and that so that's where that came from so it you know it's so it starts with a little bit and then it develops from there usually. Mm-hmm. So so tell us a little about the new collection. I'm thrilled to be working with Gary Daigle. Um, Gary is such an amazing musician. He's just, oh, my gosh, and such a, a wonderful minister. You know, he, it's all comes from such a genuine place. So I had talked to him um, back at our Composers Forum in St. Louis and said, you know, it's been a while since I've had a collection um, I would like to approach GIA, but it's not something. My, my other two collections I did out in LA and did coordinated the whole thing myself, and I just didn't want to do that. And Gary's the perfect person to do it. So I said, Would you be consider working with me? And he said, Yes. So we talked to Kate and Alec at um, LA Congress. I'm I'm leaving a lot of it in Gary's hands. I've done some rough demos for him and sent him scores and notes and stuff, and I think we're on the same page. And so we'll be working this week to do choir, strings, you know, vocals, and all of that stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here, and I'm grateful to GIA for being willing to go through with this and to support me in this. The working title, I think this is what it's going to be, is Unknown Blessings. I came across a card. Uh, there's a woman, I always buy her cards at LA Congress, Cards by Anne. Um, they're beautifully calligraphied. Uh, I think I've seen those. They yeah. probably have. And this one was, let us give thanks for unknown blessings already on the way. Mm-hmm. And it said Quaker blessing, which caught my eye immediately. Of course. Because <laughs> I had never heard that as a Quaker. Um, but I loved the sentiment of it. To me, it speaks of just living in the moment and being living in a state of expectant gratitude. We never know what's coming, but... 
be grateful for God's providing blessings. Let us give thanks for unknown blessings already I bought the set of cards and and then it almost immediately started writing the refrain from that. So, <laughs> um, so it's a it's a collection of songs more for uh, worship and prayer. There's uh, some ostinatos. There's like three ostinatos on there. 
um, for some more contemplative in that regard and some pieces that are more reflective, but then there's also a, a little bit more upbeat. It's not like a rah-rah kind of, yeah. a, you know, more, a song, songs more for prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So over the many years you've been doing this, you said you started doing, you know, folk music and Christian contemporary and, right. um, you know, that was 20 plus years ago. How have you seen your own style shifting and developing mm-hmm. over time? I think I always come at stuff from a melodic standpoint. The melody and, and text usually come. So regardless of any harmony that might be around it, I think it comes from a melodic base. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. Is that a change from how it used to be? Or as you grow and presumably change and shift, yeah. is your music doing the same thing? Or is the music... I think of- it's broadened in terms of, like Chris you know, will give us these assignments that will stretch my uh, abilities, you know. <laughs> so I think I've, I've gotten better at more kinds of styles. Yeah. But I think it, it generally will come from a melodic base. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, too, because, again, my own history with the churches I have ministered at have tended to kind of straddle one foot. I hate to use the word, you know, traditional Traditional and contemporary, contemporary, but they're the ones we have at this point. Right. Places that would do both. Right. And a mixture of both. So I was always looking for pieces that That, would work both ways. Right. Right. Yeah. And I get it makes sense that if if the melody is what's driving. You can do it in a variety of ways. The same piece and yeah, reaccompany it, re right, restyle it for contemporary ensemble or organ, and it right. works right. So, yeah. Okay, we have to talk a little about creator of the stars of <laughs> oh. night, if you don't mind. <laughs> no, um, I know there was a really really good podcast that you did oh, with Zach. Zach and Matt. Yes, oh, they're so uh, wonderful. The open your hymnal, where you talk about that at some yeah. length, and I it was on that that I learned, I guess, that about your friendship with Bob Moore. Oh, he's, yes. he's sort of a celebrity around here. I don't know if you've ever seen the Tuesday with yeah, Michael I have. Thing yes, that, well, yeah, yeah, and he's, he's sort of he, become the. He's the... I don't want to call him the master. The running commentator. Yes, yes. Bob is always there. Yes. Yeah, Bob is a dear, dear friend, and he's been also a mentor. Sometimes if I have something that I'm not quite sure about, I'll send it to him and... He'll give me feedback and critique, yeah. and he's, that's been invaluable. Yeah, yeah he's a he's a very, very he's just a wonderful composer. Yeah, right? um, actually, that creator uh, Bob is to blame for creator. <laughs> um, I wrote it. I wrote another text, which is actually we're going to include this on the recording. Um, you call us Lord, and that was written for Saint Monica's. Okay, uh, that creator melody. I love so it that uses, chant. It uses too. a chant melody mm-hmm. with a. With a, it's sort of a, a gathering kind of text, maybe? Um, it, it's a, a discipleship. Discipleship, yeah. Yeah. And then I felt it needed a refrain. So yeah. I wrote a refrain. I sent it to Bob and said, do you think this works? And he said, yes, it works, but now do it for creator. Uh, make it a broader use. I think that's a good principle in general is to try to have things that are usable in more ways than one. Sing your praise In this place of war 
The Creator has gotten more notice because it's a familiar tune that's done in a different way. Yeah, it started well, there out as you also, Just from a purely practical standpoint, there are only so many Advent communion hymns. I mean, hymns right. that, you know, uh, non-strophic. Right. You know, hymns with refrains. Right. That we have that aren't the O antiphons. Uh, right. I mean, right. There's, <laughs> there's only so many times during exactly. one liturgy you can sing the O antiphons before right. it becomes ridiculous. Right. I think there was one year, I was early in my ministry, I, I looked after the fact that what we had just done for Mass, I'm like, oh my God, we just did three songs in that one Mass that were all the O antiphons. Oh. That's not a good idea. <laughs> we need to rethink Right, this. right. Yeah. But but yeah, so and that was that was in fact how I met that the, piece too. Is that and, right. from a very practical standpoint, it's like, oh look, it's it's a tune we sort of know. Right. That with a refrain that we can use and it's long enough for this church full of with people. With five to get verses. To yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well so. that's good. That's good. Well, you can thank Bob Moore for that. Yeah. But I hadn't known about the independent text right. until I listened to the podcast. Right. So yeah. That's oh, another thank really you. good one. Yeah, so. thank you. Also, I hadn't realized that you're involved with uh, the, the Collegeville. Collegeville Composers yeah. Group. Yes. How did that come about? Um, Paul, I, I live in Los Angeles area in mm -hmm. the Ventura County, and Paul Ford is there. And I was um, associate music and liturgy director at Padre Serra there. And that's where Paul, that was his parish, and he teaches at the seminary right next door. And so I got to know him there. And Paul and Cyprian and... Paul Inwood were working with Lit Press on a pilot program for essentially vocal 
music, mm-hmm. um, stuff that could work with just voice, uh, looking at it for possibilities for small parishes or for monastic communities mm-hmm. or religious groups. So they put together, they did a pilot program of like a certain number of weeks to try it out. And they got good response. So they got the green light to go ahead and do the whole Salite three-year, three pieces for each Sunday and feast day. Yes. But they wanted uh, Paul and Paul and Cyprian. They're longtime friends, and but they wanted female influence, female voices in there. So they asked me to come, and we met at St. John's Seminary in Camarillo and tried it out mm-hmm. um, to see if it would be a good fit. And I had known Paul and Cyprian from the St. Louis Composers Forum. Okay. Um, so it was their relationship, this long-time friendship and trust. Um, so I was able to fit into that. And um, Catherine Christmas, Paul Inwood's wife, was the other part of it. So I uh, was so honored, am so honored, to have been able to be part of that. You know, Paul Inwood is amazing. He's, you know, the Royal School of Music, you yes. know, I mean, just oh, like, yeah. I am so not worthy. And then Paul Ford, you know, brilliant um, theology, uh, scripture, liturgy, you know, Cyprian, gosh, <laughs> I, I can't say enough, you know. I mean, there the three of them are just amazing. Um, Cyprian has sort of this rock element as well as all of his world music, and so he has other influences to bring in with Paul's classical mm-hmm. training, and I bring the folk element. So mm-hmm. I, it worked, and Catherine is uh, similar schooling to Paul. So okay. it's just lots of influences, and we met together and lived in community, basically. We would take a week either at, um, we went up to uh, Santa, Santa Cruz. You know, Cyprian is at New Kamalali, but there, he was filling in for a year while somebody was on sabbatical at a parish there. And we went and lived in the rectory and met, had meals together. We did basically did Lectio. And people would say, oh, well, you know, you write collaborative. Well, who wrote that one? But it wasn't that way. We we seriously wrote together. We did Lectio and, and massaged the text to what, what we felt was the kernel of it. And then each come up with ideas and we would sh- share, you know, this is, this is how I, this is what I'm thinking of. This is what I'm thinking of. And it, the end result would be something different. That was it, not that what was any not one person. Just this person's. It yeah. would be, it truly was a collaborative experience. So wow. that, that is um, just honored and blessed to be part of that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) When you think about, you know, people singing together, uh, whether it's music in worship or just people singing, what, what do you think is the most important thing about what we do? Because I know what we're, what we do as liturgical composers, we're not just giving some, giving people something pretty to entertain them with. I mean, what, why is it important? But, you know, because the world right now, let's face it, it's a bit of a mess. It is a mess. Yes. Well, but, we I, but I think that that's what the music that we do does is it touch people's hearts because um, you can say the same thing um, and it won't necessarily have the same impact as if you sing it. So the singing helps people take it in on a different level and helps them take it away. Do you know what I mean? They might go home singing on eagle's wings or they might you know be hear it and it, it engages them in a different way so 
Um, I think that music is so necessary in that way. It allows people to feel emotion, helping people to pray, helping people to um, just process what they're going through and just reassuring, um, just taking the time, you know, to, to stop and slow down.
For more information, including details about the music you heard on today's podcast, please visit our website at singamen.giamusic.com. Sing Amen is produced and supported by GIA Publications.